I had a plan of coming in with my coat on and my sweatshirt on and everything and taking it off as we were talking and then realized I had to get wired up and so it didn't work that way. But um, I, was, I was feeling pretty, what's the word? You can't say proud because that's a sin. I was feeling pretty good about the fact that last week, you know, we toughed it out in the cold and Dave Papish and I stood at the door and we were out there freezing and saying hi and, you know, woo-woo. And then later on Sunday evening, I get this message <laughs> from somebody saying, check this out. Errol McFadden at Mission stood at the door in tank top and shorts. Mm -hmm. And snow boots. <laughs> I, would, I would say we've been topped, but here's the thing. You do not want to see me in tank top and shorts. So I did you a great favor by wearing my burqa to church. I, I, I was well covered, and that's the way it should be. But if you're looking for a, I don't know if he's braver or dumber, but anyway, nonetheless, uh, Sometimes I, those go hand in hand. I, I gave him a big, wow, Errol, you are, you are amazing. So yeah, it's been, um, it's been a tough week, no doubt. It's been a challenging week. Uh, two car batteries later, and uh, we've had heat issues here and everything else. And uh, I, I, I just want to say again, I, I think that God gives us these moments in life to strengthen us. And I've hesitated saying this today because I don't, I, I don't want it to be heard wrong, but my brother lives in Buffalo. And uh, he, he texts two days ago and said, we've got a guy at work who has not come into work all day, all week long, because he claims he has PTSD from last, week, last year's snowstorm. And so he's just not coming into work. And my first response was, move from Buffalo, because it's going to happen again. But, but the other, you know, as we were texting, I said, here's the thing. When we don't use muscles, they die. Courage is a muscle. And when we don't face into our fears, real or imagined, courage dies. And by imagined, I mean some fears are unreasonable. Like, I'm afraid of heights. I, I, I'm telling you what, even this stage sometime, I'm like, can we go lower? You know, I, it's an unreasonable fear, but you got to face into those, and that grows that muscle of courage. So be courageous and resilient, courageous and resilient. That's, that's God's call for us. Um, so that was the first. The second is, many of you wished me happy birthday this morning, and I'm grateful for the birthday wishes. It's not my birthday. <laughs> it's not my birthday. So I had to form a church Facebook account in order to have a church page, and I put down the birthday of the church as January 21st, 2001, because I had to have an account. Somehow it's gotten attached to my name. So uh, gifts and <laughs> gift cards will be appreciated. They're just, they're just not for me. And you may, so you may know that we were actually, our church was founded in Octo on October 14th, 1881. So why would we go with January 21st, 2001? Do you know why? Nope. You were little. I mean, you were little. Oh, yeah. This day, on this Sunday in 2001, was the day that we voted to change our name. Oh. And it is the day that this started. It's the day. It's the, there's our birthday in 1881, and then there's our reborn in 2001. 2001, uh, when I came in 1995, the church knew, we're, we're, we're dying if we don't change. And we went through six years of hard change. And that night, when that happened, it was the night that many of us who were around went, there's hope. There's hope. And look at where we are today. So, happy birthday, Southfield. Uh, not, not happy birthday, Dennis. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that's cool. Um, this whole fasting thing, by the way, uh, there is a main purpose behind it. The Bills are playing again today. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. I do not pray about football. I've learned a long time ago. <laughs> it's a waste. But hopefully, good Josh will show up today and not bad Josh. And you were saying about Mahomes? Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> we got in the car this morning and Emmett usually stays awake and he's like checking everything out as we're driving but today almost immediately he was monkey mouth just out and so I pulled him in the parking lot and sat there for 20 minutes while you, you don't mess with Emmett's naps so when he's asleep I'm like I'm gonna stay in as long as I can which means I'm listening to the you know the morning shock jocks just talk about sports and whatever and they are just going on and on about how this is this is the doom and the peril of Mahomes he doesn't know how to play playoff games 
outside of Kansas City because he's never had to do that before. I'm like, man, how nice it would be to play a playoff game. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Stupid well, Bears. Well, we are. So I went, I went to the doctor in uh, Glen Ellen the other day, and, and somebody was flying a Bills flag. I'm like, there is taste everywhere. Anyway. <laughs> So let's go to the weekend update. There was good stuff going on here, all kinds of fun. You notice at the bottom that we're continuing to list for you the passages that we're reading through the Gospels, and there are a whole bunch of ways to keep up with that, but if all else fails and you miss it, you can head to the update, and that list is there all the time. One of the biggest things coming up here is groups. Very excited about, there are a couple of things. First of all, we got group leader training going on this week and next week, getting prepped for the Gospel groups that are coming up. Uh, the groups are on the site, so you can go look, and there, um, uh, Kim commented the other day, we, we literally have a, a group every day of the week. Every day of the week, there's a group going on, so that's awesome, including today, very first time that the Deaf Gang is going to be meeting during the second service for their group led by Sarah, so that is, that is awesome. I'm very, very excited about that. I actually wanted, I wanted to attend that, and unfortunately, I have to be doing this, but um, I'm, well, not unfortunately, I love you, but <laughs> uh, so anyway, I wish I could be with you, but I have another job. So anyway, um, so that's that. Do you have anything to add about groups? No, just that uh, our, our students are kind of doing things in line that are actually, I was talking to our leaders, um, there's a design that's going to be pushing us towards, the, towards Green Lake. Because uh, we already have the plan set for that. And so the whole spring for both groups, while they're doing different series and talking about different things, we're tying into what we're doing on Sunday morning. So don't be afraid to talk to your kids about their gospel reading. We're encouraging them, pushing them to do it along with you, your, as, along with parents, along with siblings, along with our group, uh, on top of what we are doing. And it's all going to be shaping and forming them to be ready for what we've got coming for them at Green Lake. And the, the stuff that we have, you know, directing that way. I can't give it all away, but it is, it's going to be a really, really neat year. Good deal. That's wonderful. Uh, other things going on there, pop-up volleyball happened last Friday, happened again this Friday, so that's just a come join play and, and come be a part of that. And then, of course, Mom Connection is continuing. There are all kinds of things. Make sure you go ahead and read that. Uh, we've been sending out, again, a daily email to you about, about the fast, kind of keeping you on track with a common theme as well as a, a prayer focus. And this week, the, the prayer focus is going to really turn to more intense, intense prayer requests, uh, areas that we're really looking to God for, for uh, great action and a breakthrough. So uh, be watching for those. And, uh, you know, again, I feel bad bombarding you with emails We've had a fair share of people unsubscribe because I think they're sick of getting emails. Uh, people that aren't, you know, anyway, don't worry about it. Breathe. But um, nonetheless, I, I, I'm always hesitant to send so many. But having said that, um, I think it's important to get, get those messages to you. So why don't we head to the gospel reading unless you had anything else? Nope. All right. So we're going to be reading uh, from the book of Matthew today. We're in chapter 19. And we're going to go about halfway into the chapter uh, to verse 16, when Jesus has uh, a confrontation with a human. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then, who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is possible, but with God, everything is possible. And Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? 
Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. Every time we hear you speak, Jesus, um, we're amazed by your words. We're even confused by your words sometimes. We know that you are real. We know that you are in heaven right now next to your Father. We know that you are aware of us and that you love us. I thank you that you have shared stories, parables, and teachings with us so that we can understand what it looks like and means to live life here and now. I pray that we'll be faithful to you. I thank you for the season of, of prayer and fasting that we've engaged in, for the way that it has drawn us uh, closer to you in unique ways. Not everybody the same way, but in unique ways. I pray that even as we spend time singing now, that the reality of you would overwhelm us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. My mind <clears throat> turns to the Word of God and thinks of the number of times that a person was given a fresh start with a new name. Abram becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. Jacob, the deceiver, becomes Israel. A country is named after him. The murderous heart of Saul becomes Paul. And he spends the rest of his life spreading the gospel to the world. And it may not seem like a big deal changing the name of a church. But that night, God, that night we knew that years of prayers and days of fasting had been heard by you. And the longing to be a church that reached behind it, beyond itself was real. And from that, you, you birthed a, a beautiful season of ministry. Just a beautiful season. always be grateful to you for being able to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you for new life and for fresh starts and labels that change our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat. <coughs> I didn't even know it was my birthday until I was standing at the door. <clears throat> Actually, my mom texted earlier today that it was, it was my birthday, and I'm like, Mom, you were there. You know it was in April, and I had no idea what she was talking about. It was only when I went out the door, I'm like, oh, duh, and then realized, wow, what a significant day. What a significant day. Um, I am really grateful and moved for the way that you have taken on reading the Bible, reading Proverbs, and now reading the Gospels. And if you've been doing that consistently, you know, life is not about streaks, and I know version loves the streaks and all, and it's about getting into the Word of God. But by now, if you've been doing this, you've been, you've been in the Word of God every day for, for well over 100 days. Good job, and keep going. And, and what I love now as we're going through the Gospels, I love receiving your questions but I also love receiving comments of the way that you and your family are being impacted by the reading. This past week, I had three different people contact me talking about the way that the reading had impacted their children. And I'm like, I am so blown away. Uh, the transformation that is taking place in you is impacting your children. Some of you, your, your kids, and I mean your littles, have taken on Bible reading and they're getting into it and hearing the comments about what they're learning and thinking is exciting. And I, I just, I'm, I'm grateful that you're taking diving into the Word of God seriously. It's great and it's wonderful. And our kids are learning a lot. And, and this is one of the things one family learned this past week. 
Uh, this is John the Baptist snowman. So, yeah, yeah, they read about John and reenacted it. So anyway, pretty cool, complete with the silver platter. I will move on. All right, so here we are. We're in the Gospels. We're reading Matthew. And as we're reading Matthew, we are looking at parables and miracles and miracles and parables. Again and again and again, there is either a parable or a miracle. What's up with that? Why miracles? What's the big deal about the miracles? We have in John, Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison. He heard all the things the Messiah was doing. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Now, I don't know about you, there, there, there are questions that come that are stunning to me. He's at the baptism, a dove dives down from heaven, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and he's still saying, are you the one? And it's possible he's saying, are you the one, because up until now, Jesus is not you know, really diving into what he believed the Messiah would do. Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I don't know. He could have just said yes, but he says this. Why does he say this? Because he's referring to Isaiah. And Matthew again and again takes the reader back to Isaiah because Isaiah is going to mean something to a Jewish audience. They know Isaiah. What have they heard in Isaiah? Isaiah 35. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. That should say, the, not he. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. uh, Isaiah says in in chapter 61, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. He's saying, he's saying these miracles equal Messiah. I am the Messiah. And what I'm hopeful is happening for you is that as you're reading those miracles, you're saying, wow, he really did that. And you're being moved. You're being genuinely moved by the way he was able to do those miracles, and you're seeing that he is not just any other man, but that he truly is the Son of God. So what's the deal with parables? Why speak in parables? Why all the stories all the time? Why does he use that? Let me give you a very, very simple definition of a parable. A parable is an earthly saying with a heavenly meaning. So we take common happenings in everyday life and try to compare them to something that is part of something that people don't see every day and don't fully understand. It's a, it's a genre of literature. It's a kind of storytelling. It's intended to be comparative. So time and time again, you'll hear Jesus say things like in Matthew 12, In Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or in Matthew 13 again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's using these like as to try to help us to understand. We cannot even begin to grasp what heaven is going to be like. We try. We hear of streets paved with gold and all, and you know, from time to time, someone will say, well, I sure hope my dog is there. And I, I'm, I love dog. I mean, Griffey, I love, love, love Griffey. But if the most exciting thing about heaven for you is that your dog might be there, you're really not seeing what heaven is all about. You're not seeing it. It's so much bigger. So, you know, I'm trying to explain the world to a 13-month-old right now. And I love to take him over and try to teach him the essentials of cooking. We're getting at this a little bit, nice and early. So I plop him down on the, on the counter and I show him, this is the tool that we use to get the pasta out of the water. And, and this is the wire whip that we use to whip up the eggs. And, and I'm telling him, and you know what he's hearing? He doesn't understand a word I'm saying yet. But eventually he'll start understanding the words and eventually he'll start understanding how this is used and what this is used for. We are like 13 months old sitting on the lap of Jesus and he's saying, you can't even begin to imagine this, but I'm going to try to tell you anyway. 
I'm going to try to tell you anyway. Uh, it's, under, it's important to understand a parable is not an allegory. Allegories are all symbols, and you unpack every symbol. It's not an allegory. We'll, we'll, we'll go there in a minute. Second thing about a parable, it fulfills a prophecy about the Messiah. This, I, this is amazing. Matthew says, all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, now, when we see something like this, when it says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, what you should do is go, which prophet? Where was this? Well, here's where it was. It was in Psalm 78. All my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. And you're like, wait a second. David wasn't a prophet. Well, David didn't write this one. Asaph did. And in 2 Chronicles 29.30, it identifies Asaph as a seer. And a seer is a prophet. So he's referring to Psalm 78 and saying, that was about me. That was about me. I am here to speak in, in, uh, in parables. They are meant to be enigmatic, meaning difficult to interpret or understand and mysterious. Some of the parables, you read them and you just go, I don't get it. I wish he'd just say what he means instead of, what are you doing to me here? Just explain it. Just let me know. What's, why is it difficult to understand? Well, he's trying to explain truth to some people and keep the truth hidden from others. And further, as we grow in our relationship with God, these mysteries start to unfold. His disciples came to him and asked, why do you use parables when you talk to people? Why not just talking to them? And Jesus says, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. So if you're listening, he's going to continue to unfold your understanding. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they do not see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And again, he says, this fulfills what Isaiah said. When you hear what I say, you will not, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. So he, he literally quotes Isaiah to say, this is why I speak in parables. For the hearts of these people are hardened, their ears cannot hear. They have, been clo they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, their hearts cannot understand me. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So that's part of the reason they're confusing. This is probably the most important thing you'll learn about a parable. A parable has had one central point, one main idea. And it is our job to get at the intent of Jesus. What did he mean when he told this story? We try to fill parables with all kinds of meaning. And Jesus says, I have one point I'm trying to drill home. Just one. In a parable, some details are relevant and some are not. And you got to kind of figure out what matters and what doesn't. And, and the other thing is we have to beware of over-interpreting or over-symbolizing a parable. You are the salt of the earth. Hmm, okay. Salt is white. If I put it under, under a, uh, if, if I look at it with a magnifying glass, it's a little cube. Hmm. Uh, I throw salt on the ground when it snows. I put salt in my water softener in order to get soft water. We, we just start going crazy with this instead of Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its flavor, it is good for nothing. That's all he means by salt. That's it. Stop unpacking your Morton bag. That's it. If the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing. And so we got to be careful not to try to unpack too much or over-symbolize too much. I, I love what this person said. I don't have his name. An allegory is most often completely filled with symbolic meaning. So it's not an allegory. Every detail in an allegory means something that be traced to the overriding principle that is being illuminated. Parables usually have one basic central meaning. Trying to over-symbolize them can have the effect of tearing them apart a person doesn't understand the beauty of a flower by disassembling it. Like a blossom, a parable is best understood by seeing it in its, in its simple and profound entirety. Don't overdo it with parables. 
Some other things, you'll see that sometimes they include what's known as the rule of three. He'll take three items and talk about three items. And the first one introduces the topic, the second one suggests a pattern, and the third drives it home, or there's an unexpected change. He also uses the rule of two. You even see this one more. There's usually a good guy and a bad guy, a wise guy and a foolish guy. Two things that are being compared a lot. And then you see these key words, and the key words are important. How much more, he says. How much more? He'll, he'll go through the whole thing. How much more? Boom, boom. You know, How much more builds a bridge from temporal life to spiritual realities? He who has ears, let him hear, calls people to the critical issues of life and death. Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking with earnest intensity. Hear what I'm saying, he says. Finally, we just always have to be aware of the, there's a cultural gap. He's talking about 10 virgins with lamps. When's the last time you saw that? I mean, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? And there are different stories like that that you've got to dig into some of the history to understand what he's talking about. Not everything will make immediate sense to us. Even something like salt. Nobody in the time of Jesus was water, softening their water with salt or throwing salt on their snow, or anything like Different times altogether. So we have to be aware of what was going on in the time of Jesus, and not just what's going on here and now. Um, always watch the ending. The ending brings it home. And if it is explained by Jesus, read the explanation. It's amazing. He explains from time to time. This is what I mean. Oh, thank you for the explanation. We appreciate it. So let me go ahead and hit some questions that you raised. I have five of them. Let me look at this real quick. So here's what happened earlier. Sometimes you get these little moments. I printed the order, and the order always puts not only when it starts, but when it finishes and how long I'm doing something. And when I was standing here with Brian, I printed this. I had an order with none of that. So while he was reading and I was doing the slides, I was trying to figure out in my head when the sermon was supposed to end, and that's why we ended up four slides behind. So basically, I want to make sure... 9.53. Okay, here we go. 39. Okay, this is going to be fun. Do children have guardian angels? Yes or no? Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? He called a little child to him, placed him, the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like, a little, children, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you have their simplicity and their humility and their openness and their love. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Millstone, about a ton. You're going to sink, Okay. Then I, I set that up because then in verse 10 he says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And this passage has been used to defend the idea that every human being is assigned an angel, and that's their guardian angel from life to death. You know, Clarence helped, what's his name, and all that sort of thing. So you got, you got, you've got your assigned angel. And what we have to understand, there's nothing in Scripture that speaks in terms of a specific angel assigned to a specific person, all right? What we do understand is that, you look at Hebrews 1.14, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Angels do. We talked last week about the fact that demons harass us. Angels help us. They help us. And we have it right here in Scripture. They help those who will inherit salvation. They minister to those who will inherit salvation. That does not mean you have a specifically assigned angel. The angels help us. The angels are there for us. But here's the thing. We don't pray to angels. Oh, Clarence, help me now. No. We pray to Jesus. We pray to God. God controls all things. God our prayers always go to God through Jesus Christ. That's it. We pray to no one else. And God is the one 
administering what happens in his kingdom and providing that care. So the word there does not necessarily mean every one of us have one. What it says is angels are there to minister those who will inherit salvation. The next one's a little tougher. There was this line, some will not die, all right? Matthew 16, 27 to 28, Jesus is talking and says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so the question comes, what does he mean when he says coming in his kingdom? For most of us, I think we would think of a, of a future event when Jesus is riding on the clouds, coming back to end all sin, death, and hell. Well, we know that didn't happen within, you know, 90 years of the death of Jesus. So what is he talking about? There are at least seven interpretations on this, two I left out because they're just too lame. So let me give you five. Some people believe he was talking about the transfiguration. Literally happens the next chapter. Disciples are standing on the mountain. They see Jesus in his glory. And it's possible that's what he's talking about. The thing of it is, it feels a little disingenuous to say, some of you will not die. And the next day, Jesus was transfigured. It seems a, it seems a little close, you know, to say, well, everybody was still alive the next day. That worked out really well, right? So others think it might have to do with the resurrection or Pentecost. And again, the argument often used there is, again, that's pretty close that's pretty close to this just three years in, after the, the ministry of Jesus. Some believe it might refer to the rapture. Well, the rapture didn't happen. We're all here, so can't be that one. And they actually believe that Jesus just might not have understood what was going on, which, okay, you're not understanding who Jesus is. Some think it has to do with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and I read about that one. I just don't get it. And then the final one, I, I really believe this is where Jesus is landing on this. He's saying that, that there will be disciples who will be alive who will see the impact of the gospel spread in the world. Because this is, this is right now seeing God's kingdom lived out in the human heart. And so you have transfiguration, death, burial, and resurrection, Pentecost. The gospel starts to spread, and you see the spread of the gospel, and you go, oh my goodness, look at what God has done here. And the fact is, some did not live to see that. Some died before they saw that. Again, this is one of those passages that I'm glad to say I'm going to take the course in heaven and find out if I was wrong, and I could be. Those other two explanations that I think are dumb may be the one. Who knows? But nonetheless, um, this, is, this is what fits what's going on here in terms of Jesus saying some will not die, or in other words, some will. I love this one. This one actually came from one of our kids. Why are the disciples so dense? What is the deal with these guys, you know? Uh, I don't know if they, yeah, I think they did use the word dense. Anyway, um, Matthew 14. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. End of Matthew 14. Comes walking on the water to them while they're in the boat. Peter comes walking out. All this happens. They get back in the boat. It's amazing. If you haven't watched it yet on The Chosen, watch it. It just kind of, boy, it brings all reality to it. You know what I mean? Chapter 15, 4,000 people are hungry. That should be a zero, not an O. But anyway, 4,000 people are hungry. This fast is really messing with my typing. Um, when Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days. They've had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they'll faint along the way. And the disciples say, well, just a chapter ago, you turned five loaves and two fish into a meal. What can we find today? No, what do they do? Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a large... Where are you guys? Wake up, my goodness... Jesus, manna, manna, manna. He's throwing bread from the sky for crying aloud, and you're still wondering how this is going to work. Well, let me say this. Um, we're in good company. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Oh, by now you think they get it, right? 5,000, 4,000, we forgot bread. And Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. He said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets left over that you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets left over that you picked up? Why can't you understand what I am talking about when I talk about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast of the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, it is easy to ding the disciples. I still, I, I try to imagine myself in the story. I've just seen 5,000 people fed. Would I believe the next crowd is going to get the same? I don't know that I would. I think I'd still go, is this real or not? What's going on here? And I love that we have the same thing going on with the children of Israel, Right? Children of Israel, Red Sea parts. This God of ours, he's amazing. We're thirsty. Why do we, we need water. Nah. You know, we need bread. We don't have meat. How are you going to rescue us now? This is human nature, and we do the same thing. Don't be too quick to ding the disciples. Don't be too quick to ring, ding the Israelites, because Southfield is pretty good at forgetting the goodness of God. Modern Christians are pretty good at forgetting the goodness of God, at forgetting the miraculous nature of God. I'm glad this piece is put in here. If they got it all the time, I'd go, man, what's wrong with me? And instead I go, I am in good company because I do the exact same thing. Question for this whole binding and loosing thing. So this was in Matthew chapter 18. And I got to tell you, one of the things that made me crazy with this one, if you look at the New Living Translation, the ESV, and the New International Version, none of them break down the paragraph correctly. I had to go back to a Greek New Testament in order to find out how do these paragraphs break down because a paragraph is a basic unit of thought. So here's how it went. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then he says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I forget which version it is, but one of them ties verse 18 to the next paragraph where it talks about two or three are gathered in my name. So he says this in light of what is described as church discipline. And it really gives us a pattern of how we're supposed to deal with our severe problems of sin in the body of Christ. This isn't just I had a disagreement about a color or what, you don't like the bills. This is big stuff, okay? This is big stuff. Been, there's, been a, there's been a sin against you. There's a sin you know of. It's grievous. It's heavy. And it says, start by talking to the person themselves. Don't post it. Don't go get advice from seven people first. Talk to them. You know, more often than not, when a person has their sin revealed to them by another person, they go, what have I done? And they repent on the spot. And sometimes they don't. It says, when that happens, you need to bring someone else along. Someone else who is a person of character, someone else who cares about that person's soul, and talk to them. Then it goes to this third part. If it still isn't resolved, bring it to the church. And boy, you got to understand the context is different than ours. The church was 15, 20 people gathered in a house. It wasn't groups of hundreds gathered on a Sunday morning. So he says, bring it to that level. And then if, if that person is still unrepentant at that point, it is important to put them out of the fellowship in order that they might wake up. Not to punish them, but to wake them up, that, that some distance may be needed in order to wake them up. And then he says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is saying, I am giving you my authority to do this. You have heavenly authority to do this. Now, I explained that very quickly, and what I've done is raised 39 new questions for you. And I understand that, but we've got to keep moving. It just it gives you an idea of what's happening here in terms of he's saying, I've given believers, I've given my church the authority that I've been given by the Father himself. Which brings us to the final one, and that's the dog insult. 
Here's this passage, beautiful passage, Matthew chapter 15. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her with a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Then he answers, it is, not, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus heard her, oh, woman. Great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Hard passage, first of all, because we're not in the first century. So there's context going on here that we can't completely relate to. Hard passage to also understand because in 2023, we are probably the most sensitive generation that has ever existed. I mean... We'll find offense where it is not intended, right? We just, we are, we're quick to be offended personally and we are quick to be offended for someone else. Uh, yeah, right? And, um, and so we read this and we're offended for the woman. Jesus called her a dog, we say. Well, let's walk through this real quick. By the way, it's 9.53, time's up. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna stop, okay? Good. Tyre and Sidon. They're about 30 to 50 miles away from Galilee, all right? And it's important to understand that um, they're outside of Israel. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to communion because we have to finish this. We can't just leave this hanging. I've got to find out what happened to these slides. So um, for communion today, we've now, we're now in the second week of praying and fasting to God. We spent a first week in intercession and we just came to a realization of where we were with our relationship with God. And then, and then the second week, we started with intercession, asking God for some things. They were, they were generic, they were general asks, not, not hyper-specific and this week, we're going to move from intercession to just kind of, I'll call them breakthrough prayers. These are the ones that you may have been praying for 20 years. These are, these are prayers that are, that are heavy and dense. And um, I would say to some degree that the prayers that we're not just praying for something, but we're praying against something. We're praying against powers of darkness. We're praying against the evil that grips our world. And so as you, as you take that walk to communion this morning, um, think about what you might pray as a breakout prayer. Think about what you might pray. What's that thing that, that you're saying, God, I really, I need, a, I need a breakthrough. I need to see a breakthrough in this area. And what I love is Summer's going to be playing this song, Oceans. He calls me out upon the water, the great unknown. where we live a lot of life. He calls us out of the boat. Step out of the boat. Trust me. This is going to be a step out of the boat. Trust me week. So take that walk to communion. Think about that prayer. These will be praying it all week long. Father God in heaven, I pray, we pray that you will help us to identify what it is not just that we want to see change, but that you want to see change. And that we would join with your spirit in praying that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to communion. Tyre and Sidon are about 50, 30 to 50 miles away from Galilee. It's outside of Israel, and it's pagan territory. So this is where they are right now. Sea of Galilee, they're at Gennesaret. 
And the bigger map shows you the Sea of Galilee is the, the arrow pointing this way. Tyre and Sidon are way up. You see the region of Galilee. It's not as distinct on this map, but the region of Galilee is in pink. And then you have the area up above that's in salmon, and that's Phoenicia. So different region altogether. He has, he has walked out of Israel during this season. And it says that um, they, they, he comes upon a woman that Matthew calls a Canaanite woman, which is interesting because Mark refers to, as a, her, to her as a Gentile, a, a Syrophoenician by birth. So Mark goes more for her nationality. Matthew goes for the generic label of Canaanite. And to give you a, an equivalent feel, in modern Israel, it would be like saying a, a Palestinian came to him. That's, that's what's going to happen in the Jewish heart. The Jewish heart is going, what is she doing talking to Jesus? Um, there's irony. It's an ancient enemy. And she's looking to the Messiah for help. She calls him son of David. It's also a Gentile woman on Gentile territory. He's healed Gentiles before, but this is the first time he's doing a healing outside of Israel, all right? We come on the issue. Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, she calls him. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. It's amazing to me that a person who was not an Israelite who, from what we know, was not in a connection with God in that way, understood demon possession. She understood that her daughter had a severe problem. And while the dog comment bothers most people, here's the one that gets me. Jesus ignores her. He doesn't even respond to her. He just, he just lets the moment sit in silence. And, and, and you're like, wow, that's cold. Silence speaks. He was silent for a reason. I think he was silent for more than just the woman. He was silent for all of us. He was silent long enough for us to go, what's going on here? What's this all about? Now, the disciples say, make her go away. And you're like, wow, these guys are chilly. But here's what, here's what confuses me. Jesus' response to that should be, all right, make her go away. Or no, don't make her go away. But here's his response. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How does that fit make her go away? And, and, and many commentators believe this, which I think is beautiful but lost in the language. What the disciples were saying was, would you just do what she says and get her out of here? They were actually asking for Jesus to respond to her. And Jesus says, I can't. I'm here for the Jew first. And then for the Gentile, that, the, that the, the gospel started with the Jewish nation and then spread out to all of the world. So, he's, so he's, he's trying to express to them, there's a mission here, there's a task here. I'm not here just to dispense miracles, and that's what we think Jesus is all about. I'm just, I'm your miracle dispenser. No, saying I'm here to save the world, that's the mission. So that still, you may be hearing this going, so I don't feel any better. Jesus is on task. He's on mission. He recognizes there's an order to what needs to happen here. But she came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. How many times do you think her heart had longed? Lord, help me. It's one thing to have something wrong with ourselves. It's, some, it's another thing when there's something wrong with our children. It breaks our heart. Lord, help me. Help me. And then Jesus uses this line, it is, not right to, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We focus on the dog. Jesus is focused on the children. Jesus is saying, I have a mission to take care of. My mission is the children of Israel, to bring the gospel to them and then to the world. So this is one of those cases, I've done this before, and I'm not saying Jesus did, did this. I've used comparative stories that a person got so insulted they couldn't hear me, right? They got lost in the story. I'm like, that's not what I was trying to say. And I think that's what happens for us here. We hear the comparative story, and we can't even hear what Jesus is trying to say. 
Jesus is saying there, there's a priority of the mission here. There's a priority of the mission. We focus on the dog. Jesus focuses on the children. The issue is one of precedence. The children get fed first. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, you're a dog. He's saying the children get fed first. And her response is so different than ours because we would say, how dare you call me a dog? She's so wise and so faithful, faithful that she says, but yet, but yet, even the little dog grabs the scraps under the table. She gets this in a way that the disciples do not yet. She gets it. And you know what Jesus says? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. It's there, I promise. By the way, it's a little dog. A little house dog. That's the word that's used here, right? Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. He recognizes her faith, and he cannot turn away from that faith. So again, this is hard because... For a lot of us, and we're, as we're in our Christian walk, we think Jesus is there to answer our prayers. This is one of the things I think they did a good job in The Chosen, when the disciples are coming and saying, you're healing everybody else, what about me? What about me? When do I get mine? And Jesus says, do you not understand that this relationship is not about you getting yours? It's not why I entered into a relationship with you in the first place. I'm, I'm not your magic gumball machine. I'm about growing you into my image. And sometimes that involves pain. Sometimes that involves loss. Sometimes that involves heartache. So I think she teaches us beautifully if we will take a moment to not let our modern ears be so quickly offended that we don't even want to hear the story. We need to hear what Jesus is saying. He came for a purpose. And he knows his purpose and he's not going to just be dragged away by every need out there. And you go, wow, that's chilly. No, it's not. He understood the purpose for which he came. And he was going to stay on task with that. So we went a little long. You don't have to worry about seven minutes. Get out of here, okay? <laughs> Father, thank you for the day. Thank you so much for your word. I pray that when we have moments that we do not understand, even moments that we feel some degree of offense, that we will be quick to, quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let us hear what you're saying to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. See you next Sunday. It will be warmer.